1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to take some time this morning to think about our heart. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the heart. And this morning, a clean heart versus a wicked heart. There's some verses or some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along with them. Verse number 7 of our text says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, we're pretty good at putting on good fronts, aren't we? But God sees our heart. He knows every thought. He knows where you were last night, what you were doing last night, last week, last month. He knows everything about us. As I think about this passage of Scripture, the wisest, most godly man in the nation of Israel was given the important assignment of choosing the next king to lead the nation. And in order to guide him in this historic task, God told him that the next king would come from a certain family, from the family of Jesse. And when the firstborn son of that family came and marched across in front of Samuel, Samuel was immediately impressed with his appearance. And Samuel said, surely this is the anointed of the Lord. But God quickly reproved Samuel for his misjudgment because Samuel looked only on the outward appearance. You see, this first son, Eliab, was tall like his father. And when he looked at him, he thought, this is a lot like King Saul. He's got to be the one. But what Samuel didn't recognize was in this young man's heart was pride and anger and arrogance that God could see. I wonder how many times we've invested time and resources and effort in a person that we thought would be a great leader and really accomplish some things for the Lord, only to see them later in life turn away from the Lord and fail in their service to God. And on the other hand, there have been times when we've overlooked people that we just thought they wouldn't amount to much and find out later that they turned out to be an outstanding leader for the Lord. And the reason we make those mistakes is because we look on the heart, or we look on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Again, he says in verse number 6, it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This has got to be the one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, I think one of the problems we make too oftentimes is we make evaluations and decisions about people too quickly. And I was thinking about this in relation to marriage and husbands and wives, young people. Make sure you know the person you're going to marry, Amen that you're around them enough to get to see what their heart is, what's going on inside. And God's around us enough to know what's going on inside of our heart, isn't he? 
He knows where each of us are in our lives. Samuel would have made a tragic choice because he didn't study the heart of Eliab. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. Keep your finger there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And go over to Acts chapter 8. I want you to see the example of Peter that's given to us there. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 17, Peter gives us an example that is helpful to us. He gives an example about a person who is brought to repentance, and then Peter gets us to see into his heart a little bit. A bit. Look in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. This is talking about the disciples, and they laid hands on people, they received the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 says, when Simon saw that, that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Here was a man. He said, Let me have this power that you have. And Peter said in verse 20 unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken of come upon me. Peter said to this man, Simon, your heart's not right with God. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I have to talk to people and deal with them and say, your heart's just not right with the Lord. Sometimes people get upset with me. I try to say that in love and in kindness, but you know what happens? Oftentimes, if our heart isn't right with God, we get upset about it because we don't want people to point out our sin, do we? That's why one of the reasons when we, get, when we as, as Christians get out of the will of God and not living like we ought to, we don't want to read our Bible because the Bible points out our sin. We don't want to go to church because the preaching points out our sin. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and when God came, where, what were they doing? They were hiding. God said, where art thou? Why aren't you out here to meet me? And here was a man, his heart was not right with God. If you look a couple of pages over to Acts chapter 13, you see the example of David. In Acts chapter 13, and would to God, this was the example of every one of us. He says in verse 21 of Acts chapter 13, And afterward they desired a king. This was after Saul. Saul is passed off the scene. Eliab wasn't the one. Afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul. And Saul of Kish, a man of, of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. God said, there's a man, not Eliab, it turned out to be not the oldest son, but the youngest son, David, who's a man after my own heart. How can we know that we're a man after God's own heart or a, widow, a woman after God's own heart? Look at the end of the verse. Which shall fulfill what? All my will. How do you know if you're a man or a woman after God's own heart? It's whether you're fulfilling His will. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Are we doing what we want to do? 
When we submit and surrender to God and follow His ways, then we can be men and women after God's own heart. God says that David was a man after God's own heart. You say, how could David be a man after God's own heart when he was immoral with Bathsheba and when he actually had her husband put on the front lines and had the soldiers pull back and he was killed? How could he be a man after God's own heart? Well, if you read Psalm 51, you'll find that David cried out to the Lord for forgiveness. A man after God's own heart doesn't mean he never fails or never sins, but when he does, he's convicted of it and he's not comfortable till he gets right with God and gets back in fellowship with God. You see, the more our heart parallels David's heart, the more God can say the same thing about us, that we're men or women after God's own heart. We're a three-part being. We're made in the image of God. God is three parts, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's made us in His image, a three-part being. We have a body, that's our flesh, that's what you see, that's the outward appearance. That's what Saul was looking at, or what Samuel was looking at. We have a soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And then we have a spirit. That's our heart, our innermost being. The heart is part of the spirit. There are over 20 verses in the Bible that describe the close relationship between the heart and the spirit. When God said, a man after my own heart, a man whose spirit is united with my spirit, is knit with my spirit. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 51, verse 10. This is the chapter that David repented to the Lord. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, the association between the heart and the spirit. Another verse in that same chapter, Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice of God, sacrifices of God, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalm 77, 6 says, I call to remembrance my song in the night, I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart maketh cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Ezekiel 36, 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and mara, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God puts the spirit and the heart together. They're so important. That's, that's our innermost being. And so this morning, as we think about this heart, the wicked heart versus a clean heart, I want you to think, first of all, with me about the importance of a clean heart. What is so important that we have a clean heart? If we're going to have a heart after God, it's going to have to be a clean heart because God doesn't want sin in our heart. He wants our heart to be right with Him. With a clean heart that we get when we get saved, we gain eternal life and we escape the torments of hell. A person who has a wicked heart is a person who's filled with pride and who desires and imagines evil in his heart. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. God says the wicked person is going to be turned into hell, but he also says all nations. I want to tell you something. Our nation has become a wicked nation. God may well turn our nation. There's going to be a lot of people in our nation that are turned into hell. 
The importance, it's important that we have a clean heart. Secondly, the definition of a clean heart. What's it mean to have a clean heart? The word clean, the Greek word for clean is katharos. It means without blemish, spotless. One who has been entirely cleansed from sin, blameless in the sight of God. The Hebrew word for clean is tawar, and it refers to physical, ceremonial, and moral purity. Now, you may say, well, how in the world can I be completely spotless? How can I be one who is cleansed from all sin, blameless in the sight of God? There's only one way we can do that, and that's through faith in the Son of, the Lord Jesus, of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses us of all sin. And when we come to Christ and get saved, thank God, all of our sin is forgiven, and then we are spotless and pure and right in the sight of God. If I were to die today and stand before God and he opens the books of heaven, he would not find a list of all the sins that Tim Schelling has committed. He would find the perfect, sinless, spotless record of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only hope that I have or any of us have of heaven is that our record has been placed on Christ when he died on the cross and his perfect righteousness has been given to me. And I will stand before God one day just as pure and perfect as Jesus Christ. And that's the reason I can get to heaven. So the definition of a clean heart when we come to the Lord at salvation is our sins are forgiven. We're wiped clean, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. And I'm thankful for that. So then what is the purpose of the clean heart? The purpose, obviously, is, is to be cleansed from sin. To be cleansed from sin. The sin nature that Adam passed on to all of us has corrupted and defiled every single heart that's been conceived except for the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God says our heart is desperately wicked. We don't even know our own heart sometimes. He says, who can know it? From birth, our natural desire to, that we have in our heart is opposite to the will and the way of God. We have that old sinful nature that is there. Proverbs 22 verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. We, when we're just a child, we have that foolishness, we have that sinfulness. And in this condition, as a lost person, still in our sins, we're under the condemnation and the wrath of God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God judgeth the righteous... And God is angry with the wicked every day. By the way, let me say this. God is angry with the wicked, but if you know God and love Him and live for Him, God's not angry with you, amen? He loves you. He wants to work with you and bless you and mature you and develop you. But if you're not a child of God, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 verse 9 says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just... For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. The purpose of a clean heart. To be cleansed from sin. Then notice with me, how do we get a clean heart? How do we get our heart clean? How do we get it straightened out? It's not the result of our own efforts. It is a result of the work of God. As I said already, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and makes us clean. Psalm 51 verse 10, David said again, Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. It is God that creates a clean heart in us. It is God that renews a right spirit in us. Through the sac sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, God cleanses our heart from every sin. 
In John chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from A-L-L, all sin. Sometimes people say, I don't know if God can forgive me of what I did. Well, does it classify? Does Does it fit into that category, A-L-L? All sin? Amen. God can forgive us of all sin. He cleanses us of all sin. If God could save a man like the Apostle Paul, who hunted down Christians and had them tortured and put to death, if God could save him, he could save you and me. If God could forgive David, who committed adultery and murder, he can forgive you and me. He can forgive us of all sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. David said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The Old Testament sacrifices were a foreshadow or a picture of Christ coming and dying on the cross. When they would take those animals in the Old Testament and slay them, the blood was applied with a piece of hyssop. It was a common common plant and they would take it and dip that hyssop in the blood. When when the, the Lord performed the various plagues in Egypt. The last one was the firstborn of every family. The firstborn son would die, and they were told to take the blood, offer the, or kill the lamb and take the blood and put it, take hyssop and put it on the doorpost, the two side posts, and they put it on the top, and the, the, the basin of, of blood was in, the, in the, uh, f- the floor, the footstool of that door. And that made the sign of the cross. It was on the top and the back and the two sides. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. They took that hyssop and they dipped it in the blood and they put it on the top and they put it on the sides and they had the basin of blood in in the threshold of the door. And God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When you leave this world and stand before Almighty God, the same thing will be true. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. If you have put your faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, He died for you. He shed his blood. His blood is full payment for your sin. And when we apply that blood to our heart and life, God saves us and makes us completely clean. He cleanses us of our wickedness and of our sin. In Romans 10, verse 9, many of you know the verse, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Saved. Saved. Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's how we get a clean heart. We come to the Lord. We put our faith and trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that alone. We ask him into our heart and life. He washes away our sin and makes us a child of God. And that brings me to the next thing. I want to spend a little bit of time here as we finish up. How do we get a clean soul? How do we get our soul clean? Remember that our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the way in which we apply God's word to our soul is to memorize and meditate on the word of God and build it into our hearts and lives. And this way we engraft God's word into our lives. You see, when God saves us, all of our sins are forgiven. Amen? Amen. But what happens if we sin after we're saved? Does that go on our record in heaven and then we have to have something happen? Do we have to get saved again? No. 1 John 1, 9, you know the verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a child of God, when I fail him, I come to him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And he cleanses me. 
And in my life, on a daily basis, I am to come back to the Word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. We engraft the Word of God through meditating and memorizing and building it into our heart and life. Now, I know that's a, that, there's some big words in there. Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness. How many of us know what filthiness is? We know what that is, don't we? Sin in our lives. Wickedness. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. Superfluity means abundance. Super, fluid, a whole lot. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've got a whole lot of sin in your life because all of us would have to raise our hand. Superfluity of naughtiness. The word naughtiness literally means wickedness or depravity. God says we lay aside the sin, the wickedness in our life, and we receive with meekness the engrafted word of God which is able to save your soul, your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. God says in a sense after we're saved, we still need to be saved. Amen? Not saved from our sin, that's all taken care of. Not saved from hell, that's all taken care of. But we got to get our minds converted. Amen? And we do that through the Word of God. John 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know, I'm afraid that as Christians, we don't understand how important the Word of God is. And how important it is for us to build it into our lives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, the Lord said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. But listen to what else he said. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. God says as we build his word into our heart and life, we're washing and cleansing ourselves. That's why David said in Psalm 119, I think it's verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. It's the word of God in my life as a believer as I memorize and meditate and engraft it into my heart and life that it sanctifies me. He said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word of God. In this passage, the word, word there, when he says sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, the word for word there, the Greek word is not logos. The Greek word logos means the whole Bible, all of the word of God. It is the Greek word rhema. Rhema means those specific passages of Scripture. And I've preached on this many times. We somehow don't understand the truth of it. But those rhemas, those, those passages of Scripture that the Holy Spirit of God gives a personal application to you and to me, we build those into our life and God says that's what cleanses us. An example of that's given to us in, when Simon Peter was told by the Lord Jesus Christ they were in the boat and they were fishing and they'd been all night and they caught nothing. And Jesus said to Peter, launch out into the deep. In, in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 and 6, he said, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon. So the Lord left speaking. He had been speaking to the whole crowd. Now he turns specifically to Simon. That's a rhema. When God speaks specifically to our heart, he gives some specific instructions to Simon. 
He says, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a draught for a big catch of fish. And Simon answering him uh, unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word. Simon said, Lord, you've told me to do this, so at your word. The Lord's giving some specific instructions to Simon. And you know what Simon did? It says, at thy word, he says, I will let down the net. Now, that's not what Jesus specifically said. Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. He said, we'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Let me just say this. Whenever you do things God's way, it'll always work out right. He didn't do it God's way. At least he let down the net, but the net broke. Can you imagine had he put down the nets, how much more they would have gotten? Sometimes when we don't fully follow the Lord, we don't miss out on all the blessing, but we don't get all that God wants us to have. We miss out on some of it. We get the nets that are broken and we get some blessing, but there's a whole lot more God has for us if we just follow his word and do what he tells us to do. And I believe that's true in memorizing, meditating the word of God. When we build God's word in our life, it'll make such a difference in our life. As we build these ramas, these passages of scripture, we memorize and meditate and apply them to our lives. And when we do that as husbands, God says that transforms literally the soul of our wife because we're actually one flesh. And he says we're to wash and cleanse through the word of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How much of God's word are you building into your life? You know, I'm afraid that many of us, our Bible, we bring it with us to church. Some of us in a printed form on, a, on paper like we have here. and Some of us, we got it on our phone and on our iPad and on various different things. But we have the word of God. But how much of that is, is in here and in here? I remember some years ago when I was, when Vicki and I were first married, we worked in a church in, Can, in, in Independence, Missouri, right outside of Kansas City, and we had a youth activity. And uh, we came into the church, there were several hundred teenagers, and we had this all set up. The police came to the church, and they came into that youth meeting, and they took all of our Bibles and all of our songbooks. They said, the governor has passed a decree that you can't have any Bibles and songbooks and you can't worship in this church anymore. You've got to leave. And they collected our Bibles and they took our songbooks and they made us leave. And we had buses out back and we took the kids down through the basement and out into the buses and we drove them to a, another place, another location where we met together. And then we went in and we had an underground service with no Bibles, no songbooks. We sang and we quoted scripture and we began to find out how much of the Bible was in here and in here. How much do you really have if your Bible's gone? And even if you still have your Bible, how much is in here? How much are we putting into practice and living in our daily lives? You see, we got a clean heart, many of us, when we got saved, but that clean soul that is our mind and will and emotions we haven't really built the word of God, engrafted his word into our heart and life to make us all that God wants us to be. 
So let me ask you a few questions in closing. First of all, when were you cleansed by the blood of Christ? When did you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You called on His name and invited Him in and He washed away your sins and you became just as pure and righteous before God as Jesus. Do you have a clean heart or do you still have a wicked heart? Secondly, do you have a personal program of memorizing and meditating on Scripture? What are we doing to build God's Word into our heart and life? And by the way, let me just say this. You're not going to be very successful at that if you don't have some kind of accountability. We put verses up here every month and ask you to memorize. I don't know, we may have five or six people in church that meet with the people who listen and who keep track of it. Not very many. Are we really building God's Word? If you don't have some kind of accountability, your husband, your wife, your children, somebody, accountability. And then thirdly, what ramas do you have for your life and your family? What verses, like Jesus said there to Peter, Peter, launch out in the deep. Are there some verses that God has specifically spoken to you and said, this is what I want you to do. God's called you to do something, or God's led you as a family to do something. When you have major decisions in your life, you ought to spend much time in the Word of God and ask God to give you a passage of Scripture that will confirm what He wants you to do. And then you can follow His will and do what He wants. Those ramas, that's what changes our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions as we build them into our hearts and lives. Where are you today? Have you trusted Him? Have you got your heart cleaned up? Are you building His Word in there? Do you have your soul and your spirit cleaned up? I've worked on this for a number of years in my own life and memorized many verses, not done as good as I should, but I've been working on it a little bit more. And as I take the verse in the morning, God gives me a verse that I, that I begin to memorize and work on. And it's amazing what God does. God's promised to bless. And, and we had, we've talked about many verses where God says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. And he said in Psalm chapter 1, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, but whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God promises to prosper and bless and make us successful as we do that. And it was kind of interesting yesterday. My verse that I was just meditating on was John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about that, meditating on that verse, being born again, seeing the kingdom of God, Brother Brad and I were out visiting and we visited a home and we had the privilege of leading a man and two teenagers to the Lord. And it was just like as I was meditating on that verse, it's like God was saying, you do what I want you to do and I'll bless you and make you successful. And God wants to do the same in every one of our lives. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to be saved and settle that, get our heart clean. But then he also wants us to have our mind and our will and our emotions clean and have his blessings on our life if we'll do what he tells us. Hey, Samuel, I want you to choose the next king. Oh, there's Eliab. He's got to be the one. He's a big, tall, handsome guy. He must be the one. God said, no, that's not the one. Because I know what's down inside of here in his heart. I know what's going on in his life.
What's going on in your life? As God looks at you today, can he say, like he did with David, there's a man after my own heart because he'll do my will. I hope you, like me, want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Would you help us? Help us to be men and women of God with a heart after God who will do your will. Not just when it's convenient, not just when we feel like it, but who will give our lives to do your will and to please you. One day we'll stand before you and we'll give an account for our life, for every word, every deed, Would you help us to understand the importance of building your word into our lives if we're going to be successful for you? And if there are those here today that have never cleansed their heart, they've never had their heart cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's still that wickedness and sin. Would you help them to bring it to you, come to you, put their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, the fact that you died and was buried and rose again, And you paid the price in full for our sin. May they put their faith and trust in you and be born again today. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.